Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, ESPN LA, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is Tuesday, the 4th of April, I believe, Indeed. Andy. Um, and that means the Lakers are almost done with basketball this year because they have been eliminated from playoff contention. Spoiler alert. Oh, I thought you meant after the last game because it's been a couple weeks before that. Although it was actually, I mean, it, like a week and a half ago when they were officially eliminated. It was a game. It was, it was the game against the Bucks where they were officially eliminated. I, I was a, shocked that it had taken that long. I had, yeah, I had assumed that they had been eliminated since weeks like, earlier. Yeah, but you know <laughs> it, it, what? It actually was a reflection of is that the eight seed is below five hundred. Right. So technically speaking, since you know Denver and Portland can't really get over that hump you know there is light lasted longer than it should flickering light at the end of the tunnel for the lakers and sons of the world it was like well look at what miami did they were 11 i think 11 and 30 Mm -hmm. 11 and 30 this is what this to me is one of the stories that has not gotten and i'll look up their record while we talk like that hasn't gotten quite enough attention it's not that Miami, you know, Spo is in coach of the year conversations and all that. It's people have noticed that the Heat are are there, but it's not even that they're back. They're like one of the two or three best teams in the league over the last two and a half months. Yeah, them in Washington who also got off to a wretched start. But I mean, but it's one thing like Washington was like two and eight and disappointing and all that kind of stuff. Miami was eleven and thirty, yeah. and they're now thirty seven and forty. Pretty good. That's amazing, um, and deserves more attention than it's getting. They're going to. I, I hope they make the playoffs. And I, I'd be interested to see. I mean, there's. You can't want Miami, like you know. You got Chicago down there at 38 and 39 as of Tuesday. Indiana's on the playoff bubble, 37 and 40. Miami's 37 and 40. Um, they've cooled off, I guess, a little bit, five and five over the last ten. Atlanta is garbage. They're 39 and 38. They're like nine teams that you could play that are all the same, and they all suck. And you might, as a top two or three seed in the East, end up having to play a Miami team that's been like a three seed in the conference. That would be really amazing. Um, All right, so the Lakers have uh, been eliminated, and we are looking forward to the future. That is what today's podcast is going to be about. Three different stories, Andy, that came out. The ESPN did the redraft rankings of both 2015 and 2016 um, and had some interesting notes, I thought, about where the Lakers guys, Brandon Ingram and, and D'Angelo Russell, fit into that um, that story. And also the Ringer put out their rankings of the the power rankings of the 10 worst teams in the league, ranked by hopefulness. Um, so we'll get into that, where the Lakers are, who they're behind, and what that means. Um so, and we'll get there after we get through the headlines of the day. And the big ones, really, Andy, have to do with the playoffs and what's coming up. Kevin Durant is set to return, they say, on Saturday. That would be Golden State's, will have three games left at that point on a minutes restriction and all that other stuff. But KD will be back on the floor, it appears, before the end of the year to bolster the chances of the Warriors who have won 11 in a row without it. Yeah, what's really interesting is there was a period where the Warriors were legit, by their standards, struggling without Yeah, Durant. it looked really dicey. I mean, it, it, they, their record wasn't impressive, but also, too, just when you watch them on the court, I mean, it underscored just how well... I mean, Durant had been their best player this year. Yes. By far. I mean, before he got hurt. He had been the best player on the team, and, you know, he and Steph hadn't quite synergized in ways, you know, particularly running pick and roll in ways that everybody thought 
would be an automatic. And by the way, Laker fans can attest to sometimes you have the best uh, hopes for screen and roll with a new guy coming in or two new guys coming in, and it doesn't always happen. No. Sometimes uh, he won't roll. <laughs> and by he, he mean? just, it's like you, 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 he won't roll. Like, I'm sorry, he won't roll. I, obviously, we are referring to uh, Dwight Howard. I, Steve Nash is, you know, he's renowned, I think, very rightly as a great teammate. Steve Nash is not a guy who puts, especially current teammates, on blast. When he basically said in so many words, yeah, we'd he love won't to do this. Roll. We'd love to do this. Dwight won't do Dwight it. Dwight won't roll. That was pretty shocking from Steve Nash. Figuratively and literally, <laughs> he will not roll. But um all of a sudden, you know, the the Warriors have been killing it again, and there's obviously going to be a bit of a reintegration period with Durant, you know, just getting everybody right, which and, and, and looking at what could be a more difficult first round matchup, probably against Portland. Um, that that's not done yet, but probably against Portland, um, who have played well just to get to this point. Having having KD there and with a couple games back under his belt, that could be the difference in that series being a five game series and a six game series, a four game series and a six game series. And the good news, by the way, too, uh, for the Lake- Nurkic, assuming Nurkic is back, right? The good news, by the way, for Laker fans because they conclude the season in the Bay Area against the Warriors. Any concerns that Laker fans had about the Warriors sitting everybody, and this potentially ends up a win that you don't want, trying to keep up with the Joneses for, with Phoenix for losses, Durant's going to play in that game. He is, and then that probably means everybody plays for 15, 20 minutes. Well, look, it doesn't matter. Durant right. is good enough to beat this Laker team by himself. So well, assuming Durant plays... Andy, Andy. Patrick McCaw is going to have to beat this Lakers <laughs> so team. So, assuming himself. Durant plays, there's your loss for the Lakers. You can you can rest a little bit easier, right? If you're a fan, um, do you think they're? I mean, obviously, any team is beatable if Durant isn't healthy and blah 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 blah. The assumption at the beginning of the year was that Golden State was pretty much an inevitability, and if you look at what they've done again without KD over the last eleven games. They've built that lead back up over San Antonio. They've been without KD for, I think, 18 games now and still have the the best point differential in the league by a wide margin, um, even better than San Antonio's, which is the second best. I, Houston can't beat this team, I don't think. They, they don't have it. I mean, they don't. They kind of do what Golden State does, only Golden State does it way better. They, they Utah have, can't. Houston has to get on just a crazy crazy scoring role. Right. Like one of those nights where, you know, they put up 43s and hit 27. Right, except they'd have to do it four times. Right. But, I mean... Stylistic... I think they're too stylistically similar to beat Golden State. I think San Antonio maybe does something a little bit different where they can they can hit pressure points that the that the the Warriors have in ways that other teams can't. And then you hope that works over seven games. I don't think they can beat him either. Well, I mean, I think the thing that the Spurs have going for him best is just you're not going to be able to capitalize on their mistakes because they make so few. Right. And, you know, they're going to set out with a game plan that's going to make a lot of sense because that's what Greg Popovich does, and they'll stick to it. Like, they're not going to get out of character. They're not going to start straying from what they set out to do. Right. And they play really good defense. They do. And uh, they're, they're, they're the Spurs. But having said that, no. It doesn't look like anybody can beat them. I I think there are a couple teams that can give them a real series. I mean, look, even if Houston can't beat Golden State, they can push it to seven games just from their ability to score. Sure, I'm not 
sweep. I'm not saying faux, 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 faux. I'm but just you're saying right. it, it, like it, Cleveland, for example. And let's let the good sec because Cleveland is disintegrating. And the other news of this week was LeBron chewing out Tristan Thompson on the floor and then apologizing for it afterwards, and acknowledging that that was a bad look. And it's not like he and Tristan Thompson aren't friends. They're represented by the same people. Tristan Thompson's on the team because LeBron demanded it. Yeah, there's, by the way, there is only so angry that Tristan Thompson can get at LeBron right. because Tristan Thompson's wealth is in many ways the direct associate. I mean, his wealth and his current address, at right, the very it's, least. It's the uh, direct uh, result of his association with LeBron. It's similar to the way DeAndre Jordan can only ever get so mad at Blake Griffin. Being besties with Blake has gotten DeAndre. Like if DeAndre, like if Blake, you know, went number one on DeAndre's Cheerios, <laughs> metaphorically and you, literally. You, what you do is you get a new bowl. You get of a new bowl of cereal, you get, which you, you can afford because well, I was going to say you grab one of your solid gold bowls <laughs> right. and you put in like these, these very rare Cheerios that are like five hundred dollars a box, special edition, and you put it in the bowl. limited edition Cheerios. Yeah, you put it in the bowl and you get you grab your very very rare organic milk and you have a new bowl of cereal. Yeah, you you make it work. <laughs> That's the bottom line there. But Cleveland has been bad. I mean they they're five and five over the last ten. They've lost like something like sixteen games, like ten like they're like ten and sixteen over the whatever it is. Their record in March is bad. Six and ten the last time I looked. Uh, they've fallen behind Boston. They're still probably going to finish no worse than a two seed, but they look really vulnerable. The thing people are looking at is where they are in defensive efficiency and all their numbers over there. They're in the 20s. And it's not like they're slumping down to like 8 or 10 or whatever. They're in the 20s. But the assumption is, and I heard Stephen A. yelling about this the other day. It wasn't on the radio. <laughs> I just heard him yelling about it. In New York. I was Yeah, I just heard. I was outside, <laughs> and I heard. Um, you know, oh, this is LeBron James. How dare you disrespect him and all that. Kind of, somebody was disrespecting LeBron James, and it made him upset. I, I've, I've, seen this, I've seen this movie, Andy. I, it was the 2011 Lakers where we sat there, and we did the they'll flip the switch thing because that's what they do over and over and over again. When every single sign that was out there, and it wasn't even as dramatic as this, this the, the, the Lakers that year weren't as bad as defensively as the Cleveland is, the, every sign was they weren't going to make it through, and if they did make it through, they would lose. I'm looking at that with Cleveland. Like, we, we don't like to acknowledge the signs that are there because it's LeBron, but it's also the other guys who are going to three straight finals, too. This is why I'm most concerned about Cleveland, Brian, because I, I agree with you. They... They're they're still the betting favorite to get out of the East just because they're they're LeBron. They're LeBron, and, and people don't believe in the other teams, right? But you know, LeBron is the number one factor there. LeBron is difficult to bet against, and his track record speaks to why. But the biggest reason I'm concerned about Cleveland is they're concerned. They are very obviously concerned about what's going on, and they are treating this like an issue that they don't know how to solve. Like, it's one thing... He keeps saying, we'll, it, we'll fix it, right, we'll it, get it right. It, it's one... Like, the Lakers, you know, and we covered that team in 2011 when they were trying to get to a fourth straight final. It was obvious things were not working, but they didn't seem concerned, and they seemed confident, you know, clearly not correctly, but they seemed confident that once the playoffs came around, they could flip the switch, they would start getting back to form, and it would be fine. Cleveland does not seem confident 
that they know exactly what it is that's causing these problems and how to go about fixing it. And I guess you could argue that the urgency that they're feeling maybe could lead to fixing it. Maybe. But the flip side is they seem genuinely worried. Yeah. And they seem genuinely I agree with you. without answers about how to fix it. And the this. other thing, Andy, that that, that makes me wonder, too, is like it's, it's a two-part thing. It's we ignored – the warning signs about the Lakers, and they were they were there, and they were obvious, and that we just overlooked them because we said, "Oh, it'll be different when they get to the playoffs." Um, the The flip side of that is we also ignored the the what Dallas was doing. Like they showed all throughout the year, like this is a good team, and of course, they, you know, look at what they do here, look at what they do here. They're doing stuff that makes me think they could, you know, that they could put up a real fighter, and they ended up winning the whole thing. It's you know, and if you look around, the, the signs for the other teams are also really good. You know, in the in the East, you know, Washington has made that huge push to where you know, if you look at their numbers more recently, the second half of the season, really good. Boston has been really good all year long. Toronto has been hanging out, hanging around. They've got some issues, but they've been hanging around with no Kyle Lowry. So if they're whole by the time you get to an Eastern Conference Final, and that was a competitive final last year. Now they've added Ibaka. They've added P.J. Tucker. Who to, is a great matchup against great, LeBron. Uh, specifically to throw at LeBron James. Not going to stop him. And he's also, too, you take that pressure off Damari Carroll yes. to have to do everything, everything against LeBron. So, you know, P.J., you have P.J. Tucker there. You have, you know, DeMar. You have, I mean, that's a real team. If they, let's say Cleveland avoids uh, Miami in the first round to so where they can have a, a sort of a tune-up matchup against Chicago or Atlanta, one of those teams that have no re, uh, no chance of beating it. If you get Miami in the first round, now you got to play real ball. And now you turn around in the second round, you're playing Toronto. Turn around in the third round of the, you know, the conference finals, and you've got either a red-hot Washington team that believes in themselves because they're all the way to the, the finals, or you know Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford, and an incredibly deep Boston team that's really... I, I still think it's Cleveland versus the field is probably... You know, Cleveland's still probably the bet. But it, you don't feel as good about it making it. It used to be an 80, 85% chance, 80% chance Cleveland over the field. It's I, It feels to me, to be, at best, it's a coin flip right now. Also, too, I mean, you, There's that, only five, they only have five games to fix it. The mileage that has been put on LeBron, and, and I remember uh, about a week or so ago when the Cavs were in town, uh, Travis and I doing the pregame for the Lakers, we had uh, McMenamin on, who, by the way, has a book coming out. Uh, about, yeah. He and Brian Windhorst have a book about uh, – all the machinations that led to LeBron returning to uh, Cleveland. I've, I'm about 50 pages into it. It's great. And uh, spoiler alert, or I guess preview alert, we're looking to have McMenamin on to talk about right. the book. In also, a spoiler weeks. alert, Cavs win. <laughs> yes, yes. But, um, you know, he acknowledged that LeBron's defense this year has not been nearly as good as in the past because he's been taking possessions off, you know, in preservation mode. And that's understandable with everything LeBron's been through going to the six straight finals. But defense can be hard to turn back on. Mm -hmm. And if LeBron is not playing, you know, spectacular defense, you know, Cleveland isn't – forget that they're not nearly as good a team. Who's the know? rest of those guys? It's Kyrie. Is not a – Kevin Love. Kevin Love, who is, you know – All due respect to the way he defended Steph on the island on that one possession. He's not a great he is, defender. He is the Steph stopper. Um, you know, I mean, forget, forget about just, you know – the whole team. I mean, LeBron's defensive effort against Iguodala saved them. Right, saved and, them in Game Seven. And even if you think LeBron can can 
turn it back up and he can carry it and put out the same level of effort and, and performance that he did last year. There's in the, the synergy. It's, but it's also the rest of the team. That's it's like I mean. it's not just LeBron and his thing, but it's not just LeBron's fatigue level and his ability to just be a robot and go out there and do all that stuff. Other guys have been to three straight finals. And I know Kyrie got hurt and Kevin Love. It's like, but okay, fine. So those guys are going back-to-back. Back. Going back-to-back back is hard. So the guys who have gone three straight, it's really hard on them. The guys who are going back-to-back, back, it's hard on them. There's a reason this doesn't happen. There's a reason we've never had three straight, uh, you know, three straight same finals matchups. And I am more convinced now than ever that we are in a place where it could be Golden State, Washington, um, Golden State, Toronto, Toronto, more than Golden State, Cleveland. Yeah, it certainly does feel possible. Um, we don't need to worry about too much mileage on Carmelo Anthony. No, he's he's there. He's not going to the playoffs, no. and that has become a regular occurrence of late for he's the got Knicks. Some saved up, and he said that he is actually looking forward to his exit interview with Phil Jackson. Um, as he said on Monday, "quote The chips will be on the table in that meeting." Um, he had also said earlier that he thought the writing was on the wall, and it was difficult to tell whether or not he was talking about for this season because he was talking about his minutes being reduced, or poker. And the younger guys, <laughs> the the young uh, the younger guys getting more minutes, stuff like that, or if he actually meant his future with the Knicks. Uh, the time that I'm out there on the court, I'm going to play basketball. I think it's the latter. It's the game that I've always had fun and enjoyed, even though it hasn't been as much fun as I wanted to be. Try to find the joy in playing the game again. Phil Jackson has not even passive-aggressively tried to get Mello to waive his no-trade clause. He's done everything other than saying, F you, Mello, get the hell out of here, waive this stupid clause. And that's actually, by the way, I mean, you don't want – that's not the way you go about doing it. But the lack of direct talk is, I think, in part what is preventing that from possibly ever happening. It's become very clear that Mello is like, look, you are not going to bully me into doing this. You're you're not going to just make this so untenable that I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll wait roll the and wait. Right. But the, here's but the other thing. Talk to me like a person. But who's trading for Carmelo Anthony at this point? What team trades for Carmelo Anthony? This is part of the problem here. It's like you know, it's because Phil's done a Phil's done a really bad job for reasons we've talked about at length on this podcast. You know he is not he is not temperamentally suited for the job of general manager, particularly now in the NBA, in an era where players have so much control, um, as evidenced by the fact that he's guy that he'd love to get rid of has a no trade clause that he gave him. Um, but who trades for Carmelo Anthony? What team? The Clippers, okay. But what do you give up? I mean, I could see the Clippers saying, you know what, we're kind of all in here. We could. We'll trade for, you know, we'll re-sign CP, we'll re-sign Blake. Um, what could you possibly offer them, DeAndre, that you would take that they, you know, okay, but now you don't have a center. You've got Mello. Is Mello, CP, and Blake better than DeAndre? See, look, if, I mean, I got to be honest. If I'm the Knicks, I remember there had been that talk about Mello to the Clippers, but none of the big three maybe not even J.J. Redick, and you're basically just taking spare parts, you know, maybe future picks, stuff like that. If I'm the Knicks and I have that opportunity, I take okay, it. Okay, but the, my point is the Clippers don't have spare parts. They don't have draft picks. They don't have anything. And and if you trade them there, the, the draft picks you would get, even if they had them, would be worthless. I mean, you do it to get them off the roster, but I just I don't know where your trading partner is because in this NBA where, you know, with an aging mellow, 
I, plus two. He's all, he's only he's, gonna, he's only going to waive his tra- no trade clause to go to a good team. What good in team, a market that he wants to go to? What like, for good example, team will take him? The, the Pelicans may be rising. There is no right. way. I don't care if they have both AD and Demarcus. Melo is not going to New Orleans. Right. And by the way, the Clippers example just to. If if you say we want a star back, we'll take DeAndre. Well, they don't want DeAndre because Porzingis they want to eventually turn into a center. And the other good player that they have is uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, who is a center. The one thing that they have seems to be centers. Yeah. So where do you trade Carmelo? In? There's no way this works. Cleveland. Maybe if Cleveland loses this year, maybe Cleveland, that opens. If Cleveland loses, if Cleveland this year, loses this year, that opens the door maybe to a, a deal for Love and something. Or I mean, Kyrie, you're not trade Kyrie for you're not trading Kyrie. No, no, for for Mello. No, but no matter maybe, what LeBron says, but maybe maybe Kevin Love. I mean, I I don't know if that makes Cleveland necessarily any better. But if it's something, but it's you understand, you understand the basic that, point. Oh, it's extremely tricky. You can't trade him. I mean, I, I it's am, not that much harder. It's it's really not any easier to trade like Timofey Mozgov. I mean, the the Bulls it's probably easier to trade Mozgov. The Bulls, if they keep if they get okay. to keep Jimmy Butler, you know, team up Mello and Jimmy Butler. Like if they don't want to maybe, go full maybe. rebuild, that's that's an option. I mean, in, you know, Chicago, Would he go there? Chicago. Yeah. Well, Chicago had been on his list. He met with Chicago. Okay, he, so he there's one have gone team. to Chicago. There's one team, maybe two. God, I hope the Lakers isn't on this list. <laughs> I so hope the Lakers is not on this I list. I have a feeling that that is not what new general manager Rob Polinka has I in mind. I have a feeling. I have a feeling. But when you hear concerns from Jeannie Buss, you know, on, on a recent Forbes podcast. This interview, wasn't on our agenda, but please. Um, I'm trying to find the exact quote. She did an, uh, an interview with Forbes, uh, their podcast, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she noted how next year's all-star game is in Los Angeles and it at the very least makes her it makes her sad it It makes her sad that the Lakers might not have an all-star right that that LA could be the site and that the Lakers will not be represented okay if I made a list of 500 reasons to make a trade or you know something like that where for for a potential all-star whether it's Jimmy Butler or Paul George or Carmelo Anthony or whatever where would having an all-star in a Lakers uniform represented in the All-Star game land on your list of 500 reasons to make a deal like that. 600. That is the correct answer. The correct answer is it's not on the list, even if you have 500. I don't think they'll do it for that. I don't think they will either. And look, just so it's clear, if you can get Jimmy Butler or get Paul George in a deal that makes sense for the team, like, then you know, by all means, all I have to give up is Buddy Healed. Yeah, and then he's played well. You know, by all by all means, try to get one of those yes. guys and let them happily represent the Lakers in L.A. But to move heaven and earth potentially, because you are dying to make sure that the Lakers don't deal with the embarrassment of not having anybody on the team in L.A. It, right. It's a terrible, and I I will say, I'd like to think that you just meant it will be sad next year when the Lakers don't have an all-star if that happens. I'd like to think so, too, but... But I hate hate even hearing it said out loud. Well, especially... I don't want to hear it, Especially, too, with a team that is... That has had a track record of being star effers. Yes. And having a track record of linking their identity to star power. And, you know, this this is something that I think Jeannie is very hyper-aware of. For sure. Um, 
and it represents a sort of the old fashioned. And she's you know, going to have more synergy right. now with basketball operations. And, and but it represents that sort of old fat, like the same. Like we talked about the you know the rich people who won't fire the gardener, won't fire the uh, the driver, won't fire the sommelier that they keep on staff because they're worried about what right. the neighbors. And, and again, like you said, to be fair to Jeannie, we That's we not, have, yeah, we have right. no idea that this is something she is pushing. I just, I and like I'd like to, to think she's not. I don't want to hear it spoken out loud. I don't, I don't like want to ever, ever hear it said. Yes. That's um, not something. Look, whatever embarrassment you deal with, and yes, it will be talked about on first take and undisputed, and there will be a million talking heads talking about how embarrassing this is, blah, 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 blah. The game will be on Sunday. By Monday, everybody will have forgotten. <laughs> I mean, true. literally, it will take that long before people stop If it wasn't in L.A., I wouldn't even watch. And the only reason <laughs> I do that is because I'm here, and I'll probably be assigned I to go to it. I was going to say, we have to go. Um, like you and I, by the way, are really rooting for there to be no Lakers in that game one because <laughs> then we really might not have to we go. Might not have to go. I've done that before. Been there, done that. Um, all right. So the big... Kobe's last game as an All Star in L.A. That was actually that was cool. Fun. Right. That, that was, was actually neat. pretty fun. But like, but I've been to two of them now. I could take the day off. I could take the day off. Um, so there's not a lot of Lakers specific news. You know, guys have played with Brandon Ingram doing stuff, and they they're sort of over the D'Angelo benching experiment and. You know, Zubats is shut down. That sucks. That's, there's your news. <laughs> it sucks, but it sucks. Um, but there's a lot of stuff out there that kind of it, it makes it a good week to sort of stop and talk about where the team is going. And it starts really, I think. Yes. You know, uh, before we put a ribbon on this season, Andy, tie a bow on it. Um, the ringer. Put out a list of their power rankings of the ten worst teams in the league, based on hopefulness, and the Lakers are fifth on the list. And I don't know. You think just just first of all, just that. Do you think if if I said you know you said to Lakers fans, you have a list of the ten worst teams in the league. The Lakers are fifth in terms of like forward looking hopefulness. How do you think fans would react? Do you think that's just okay do you think that's about right do you think that's too low too high what do you think most of them would say i think they'd just be pissed i th- I think they would either be pissed because they think it's correct and they think it's too low or they're gonna be pissed <laughs> because it's they- correct yeah that's a good way of it's looking a, at it I one thought way or way. another they're going to be pissed. i think most people would be I, I think they would be they would think it's too low and then once we're done with this conversation might be pissed because it might be accurate the team's in front of them philly Basic premise there, Simmons, Saric, Embiid, um, you know, Robert Covington. They still have draft assets that are coming either from the Lakers this year or next year. They've got stuff. Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine. Um, Pelicans, it hasn't worked great so far this year, but they're going to go into next year. I'm getting a little they're better. They're getting a little better. They're going to figure it out, and you have – Cousins and AD on the same team, and a presumably probably Drew Holiday. I was going to say presumably. That's resigned. a pretty good yes, group is. of three people yes, to figure is. out what's working. That out. could be a playoff. That team. could be a playoff team for sure. Phoenix, Eric Bledsoe, who's still only I think 28, 27, 28. He's got the body though of a forty-eight year old. He does. Uh, and Mar- I like Eric. Marquise Bledsoe. Chris has played well. Devin Booker just put up seventy points. T.J. Warren is a good young player. Uh, they've got Tyler Eulis, who's been very good since uh, Bledsoe went out. And then you He's get to the shrimp. Lakers. He's a little fellow. <laughs> He's an absolute imp. All right. So you look at that, and even the teams behind the Lakers, you know, Sacramento, which we all made fun of after the after the trade because they didn't get that much for Boogie. Buddy Heald has played pretty well. 
Uh, Willie Colley Stein has played well. Scalabissier, is that how you say it? Or is, sure. I think so. Has played kind of. So they, even they're excited about their young players. The Lakers were fifth. Some questions about Ingram, some questions about Russell. Randall. Randall. Randall was the guy that uh, Kevin O'Connor, who wrote the piece, really focused on. The idea of, like, how good they could be in a lot of ways hinges on how good you think Randall can be, which sort of elevates what you have in Ingram and Russell if you feel good about that. Right. And the issue to me isn't so much, is it right that the Lakers are fifth? Could they be fourth? Could they be sixth? I mean, the, the point of it is, it's really hard to get good. And every other team in the league, except probably Brooklyn, feels like they have at least something that they can look at. I mean, Dallas is in a tough spot, I guess. But but Harrison these, Barnes has been pretty good. Right, but of these young, up-and-coming teams, they all have something. Even the, 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 the freaking Kings have stuff now that they can feel like is going in the right way, and then if they, you know, if these guys develop and we do this move and whatever it is, that they can go forward. And the, the Lakers, they have to jump over how many teams here? Let's look here. So they've got to jump over the Kings, the, the Timberwolves, the Mavericks, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, the Trailblazers. That's just to get into the playoffs. Um, you know, they all have reason to feel good about themselves. So is the Lakers' core group of Russell, Ingram, Randall, Clarkson, you throw Nance in there if you want, throw Zubats if you want in there. I think you should. He'd probably be the starting center next year. Is it better than what Minnesota has with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins? Is it better than what Portland has with McCollum and, and Lillard and now Nurkic, who, by the way, is only, I think, 22? Well, not, I mean, 23? I think, I think for especially with Portland, it's an unfair example because those guys are so much more experienced. Like when you look at McCollum and look at I, Lillard. I get that, but the point is, the, 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 they're, and they're an eighth seed. Right, and the Lakers to get to where the Lakers want to go, they got to jump over these sure. teams. And Portland has those two guys has added Nurkic when they started playing right. really well, and they're still an eight seed. You know, Denver has Jokic, who's one Jokic of the great young players in the Jokic league, is really good, and is only going to get better. They have other useful players around, like Gary Harris and all Jamal the, Murray, Jamal Murray, who's up and you know done played pretty well this yeah. year. They. Think that things are going. There's a lot of stuff. This that they is what I jump think, over. This is what I think is interesting when you're looking at these young cores, because with the exception of, I would say Phoenix, at least in the West, you know, of the young cores that matter. And I guess Sacramento. I mean, I Sacramento. Sacramento's young, I don't think counts yet. I, I exactly. They they're they're happy with how things have gone since the boogie trade, right? But I don't think anybody's looking at those guys going, you know what? I, what I wouldn't do to swap my group with theirs. But like when you look at. When you look at, say, the Lakers against Phoenix or whatever, even if you think Phoenix's is better, and I'm not convinced they are, if, if I had to choose one. I liked, and this is something we'll get into as part of those those redraft things or whatever, there was a debate on one of those, Do you you know Devin Booker or D'Angelo Russell. I like Russell better than, as do I. than Booker. I think Booker is more inefficient, one-dimensional. Right. right, but I think the key question when you're talking about all these young cores is even if you think they're better than the Lakers, how much better? Because, you know, they might be a shade better, but that shade better isn't necessarily the end of the world when you're talking about a long-term project. Because sure. so, some of the teams, though, that are ahead of them in line are also older. And, you know, you're, you're going to wonder what's going to start happening to them when the aging process kicks in. Memphis, there's no way to, and there's for example. No, there's no way to get around it. You know, so, or like Philadelphia, for example, that's number one on the ringers list. Philadelphia has an incredibly high upside but they also have a very decided floor. 
and it's a real floor because they're depending on a lot of right, guys sure. with big time you, injury. We don't know issues. what Ben Simmons is going to look like. You have we no idea what he's going to look like. You have no, you have no idea, idea if Embiid can stay healthy. Right, and the, these are big, big issues. You know, J- Jaleel Okafor has turned out to be a terrible pick for them. You know, Nerlens Noel, they never could really figure out what to they do. They got with a bad them. return on. They got a bad return on it. So, the idea that Philadelphia is number one. I'm not even sure I entirely I, Again, I get, I get that. And if you want to say Philadelphia well, the, should be thrilled. Well, no, no, but I'm not even talking about – my point isn't where they rank. My point is, depending on how you look at it, they're not even that far ahead of the Lakers, even if you buy into their upside, because you have to acknowledge that floor. That may be, but the the floor is just the floor. The, the ceiling is where they could be if everything goes right, and now you're talking about them being a, a legitimate team in the East. But that – and that kind of gets to my point. That that means Simmons pans out and is the guy that everybody thinks he could be. It means Embiid kind of pulls a Brook Lopez where you're like, oh, my God, he's injury prone, this, that, whatever. You look up and Brook Lopez hasn't been injured in six seasons. Like, he's he's a really he's been very healthy over the last maybe not six, but it's – I'm going to say it ain't been six. It's been pretty close, actually. Um, uh, but the point being where all of a sudden, you know, the guy – that you thought could never stay healthy, they get him on the right track, the injury heals, and he's healthy again. The The distance that you have to go to get to where the Lakers, you know, I'm not talking about being a six seed or a seven seed or whatever, where you're sort of perpetually in that. Um, he played 74 in 2013. He's had two bad, two injury seasons. Um, and then the rest have been in the 70s for the last three seasons. Um, so regardless. The distance the Lakers have to go to get to the kind of relevance that they want is massive. Even if you believe that Russell and Ingram, as the, as one and one A, can actually become All Star caliber players, because all of these teams have one or two of these guys that you can look at and say they're either already that guy. New Orleans, they have two of them three he's holiday's been an all-star too or you look at him and say well devin booker's going to be an all-star one day you know carl anthony towns anthony you know wiggins levine will be an all-star one day everybody's got one of those guys so for laker fans i think it's important not to get that tunnel vision and think oh well we've got this young core that nobody else has this we've is got what, a young core that i like but that a lot of teams have well, this is the one thing though that i i think speaks at the very least, hopeful with the Lakers when you look to try to evaluate them against the rest of these other cores. This is the first year of this young core, and I'm, whether you're talking about Brandon Ingram as a rookie or you're talking about Jordan Clarkson in his third year in the league, this is the first year for any of these guys where they played in an actual system, mm-hmm. where they coached no question. to develop them, no question. where their job isn't just give the ball to Kobe and get the bleep out of the way. Like, that, this is new for them. And you can't say that about any of these other cores. And you look at, say, uh, the Timberwolves, where they have Andrew Wiggins in his third season. Zach Levine, I think, is in his third. Something uh, like that. And Carl Anthony Towns in his second. With Tom, Thibode, uh, Tom Thibodeau, you know, one of the most respected coaches in the league. And they're still struggling to get it together. Mm-hmm. So this stuff takes time. And the idea that the Lakers are behind the eight ball because they've had such a bad year this year in terms of wins and losses, I don't buy it. You know, this is people frustrated Laker fans, and I think sometimes even analysts who aren't really paying attention or really thinking about context, 
They talk about this like the Lakers have been spinning their wheels in rebuild mode for four seasons. No, you're right. They haven't. This is the first year of a rebuild. It gets to why the same piece of information can be used to both reassure Lakers fans and terrify them. The Minnesota thing is both a cautionary tale and a point of optimism. Look, they've got all this stuff, and they're supposed to be further along, and they haven't been able to do it. The flip side is they've got all this stuff, and they're further along, and they've had this infrastructure, and they haven't been able to do it. So, you know, it, it, you know, it really, I mean, to some degree, it gives you an idea, too, how important it is to keep the pick because you just need to keep throwing stuff. You get more this. options. You have to have the, uh, the ability to continue adding talent, um, you know, both of us really, whether on the pregame show or on this, have been defending Russell Andy for most of the season in terms of, look, okay, I get it. He's not Kyrie Irving. He's not Chris Paul or whatever. But he's developing pretty nicely and is putting in more good games than bad. Since and the if, All-Star break, been good. by and large, he hasn't just been good. He's been very right. good. And, you know, it's it's like even great players have games where they shoot 5 of 17 from the floor. Like, perfection can't be the the only standard by which he's judged. And Ingram, you know, if you look at his stats, you know, certainly over the last month, have been great. He's been very. very He's starting, and you've, and, and if you watch the games, and this is where you know some of it becomes tricky because, like, I'm looking at the redraft rankings that they did, Kevin Pelton and, and uh, Chad Ford, and they both have Ingram outside their top five. Pelton really dislikes Ingram. Because he's more of a numbers guy. And the numbers on Ingram, despite the fact he's played better this month, are terrible. He's been still one of the worst players in the league. But if you watch him... Brandon Ingram, you and I have said this all year, he is a player that you have to watch. You can't go by the numbers, the the advanced numbers, whatever. They're going to make him look bad. You have to see him to, at the very least, see the full potential. You have to watch him play game in and game out. You just have to. I... I'm optimistic, but I, I, I'm I'm cautious because there's so many things that have to happen. Like you know the, the Mozgov thing, with the Dang and Mozgov thing. I saw somebody floated at us on Twitter a deal where the Lakers would basically use Jordan Clarkson to offload either Mozgov or Dang. Yeah, have fun with that. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily see that working. But also, let's say that's something you could do to have to give up. I'm not a big Clarkson guy, but I think he's a. I think if you play him like Lou Williams. Sure. You know, he's got that. I mean, and that's a really important player to have on a good team. To have to give up a piece so that you can open up that salary space takes you backwards. I mean, to some degree, unless you think you can fill it with, unless you know I you think can if fill it. If you're fairly confident you can fill it and all it takes is sacrificing Jordan Clarkson, okay. I can do it. But you got to be able to I fill would, it. Sure. But I mean, I would take my chances on if you get to keep the rest of that core. And again, you're you're opening up that much salary, and the cost is Jordan Clarkson, who, by the way, you move him, you're you're moving your highest salaried young player mm-hmm. for now, for, the for next, now, for, but for, for an now. hour, for now, right? I would do that, right? But I mean, the, the Clarkson's going to be outpaid by Russell and Randall very quickly. Well, then you then all the more reason. That's the other the space. other thing that doesn't get talked about a lot is the Lakers do have to make decisions on these guys. I think faster than people kind of realize. Randall, I guess, is up for the extension this summer. My guess is he's not going to get it, and they're just going to let him go to free uh, restricted. Restricted, they may, they may not. But that's you know, my guess. And then you know, uh, Russell after next season. By the way, too, we this, said, the decisions are coming, and these guys are all going to get paid a lot for those keeping score. Because we had said before, Russell is playing very well since the All Star break, which is essentially since the trade deadline. Nineteen points a game, five assists, 
three rebounds, shooting 43% from the floor, which is up from 39% right. before the break, 36% from three. Getting better. He's really playing well. 36% is lower than it needs to be. but it's Lower than better. it needs to be, but it's it's going up now. And it's better than it was. It's going up. And in the meantime, too, Brandon Ingram, before before getting hurt in March, had very quietly been putting up really good numbers. Yeah, 13.5 points, four, over four rebounds, two and a half assists. Keep in mind, assist numbers, very difficult to judge a guy by on this team because it's not like they're filled with finishers. Right, but that that's good yes. for a 19-year-old. A 19-year-old who weighs 125 and pounds. And playing around a bunch of inexperienced players. Yeah. That's good. I, you just we, we're, we're at a place where if you're not – towns people question whether or not you could ever be useful I mean, look, even even porzingis who ends up number two for both uh for both pelton and chad redrafting Ford, 2015 and, and porzingis is obviously a very good player two seasons in a row you've seen him start to slow down as the season oh, he's goes been, along. he's been inconsistent right i mean and that's and we're talking about a player that every team in the league would kill to get he still has his flaws i'm like i don't have him in front of me but like his I know his splits. Let's see what he's doing since the break. Since the All-Star break, 17.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, 2 assists, shooting 26% from 3-point range, 45% from 3. In you know February, he had a really tough month, 15.5 points. January, he was only at 14 points. He's had, he shot 29% from three in January. I mean, he, I mean, he he's goes, been all kind of all over right, the place. He goes up and down, and he's a really good player. He's only shooting, for the season, he's only shooting 45%, 35% from three. I think that, you know, the, the numbers aren't, you know, 17.5 PER, which is basically what Russell's is. I mean, look, the, I preface this by saying I am in no way calling Kristaps Porzingis overrated because he's a really good player, but the unicorn factor can make you sometimes overblow what he does on the court. Yeah. Because he is so unique and is so different that sometimes I think it can make it more eye-popping than it's it is. It's also just the narrative. People have, you know, Porzingis is awesome. And, you know, you don't stop to check. Is he awesome every day? Is he awesome three out of five? When is he awesome? Um, it, but this is the the pick. God, I'm, I'm so intrigued by what happens if they keep the pick, whether they – keep it and use it to draft whether they keep it and trade down whether they use it to trade for jimmy butler whether they use it there's so many things like if you think you have this given what people think about the players in this draft if you think you there's a guy that you really like at eight nine ten the opportunity is to trade down a little bit and pick up other stuff for a team that still needs other stuff is going to be amazing it's gonna be we will learn so much about the mindset and the approach of the new front office if they keep the pick. Yeah. Like, that's going to be what really kicks the door open to give you an idea of how these guys approach stuff, and I want to see it. And it doesn't work nearly as well if they don't keep the pick. That's right. my feeling. Well, just you want options. Yep. I mean, especially when you're rebuilding, flexibility and options. Right, and I want key. to see what they do with them. Um, all right, so that's that. I, I got something real quick oh, I wanted okay. to spring on you. You, yes. you are not aware of this. Uh, see – Little, little experiment, see if it's fun. You love Hallmark Christmas movies. I like, I, yeah, like, I, I find them comforting. Yes, you do. And you, you like them conceptually. You like how predictable they are. And yeah. In particular, the way, if you see the title, you know exactly what's happening There's in the movie. There's very little subtext. Um, 
Hallmark Channel just announced their eight upcoming Christmas movies. Okay. I want to run the title by you and see how close you can get to the plot. Oh, okay. So you have the plots? Yes, I do. All right. Okay, go ahead. The first one, A Song for Christmas. Hmm. A Song for Christmas. Now, there are two ways this could go. This could either be a child who, like, their parents are going through a difficult time, and the child create something to try to bring his his parents closer together mm-hmm. um around christmas time for the holidays um and you know it has some sort of unifying or like the dad is a struggling songwriter and the child like finishes the song for them so that's sort of where my mind is going or um yeah, I'm going to go with that. Okay, well, you're in the ballpark in the sense that it involves family. Uh, well, but <laughs> well, no, no, no. But you're also out of the ballpark in the sense that you're not close. Okay. Um, pop song for Christmas. Pop superstar Adelaide K is so well, fed this up. This is where with, I was going. Like with her to... controlling manager, uh-huh. that she sneaks off the tour bus after their latest squabble, as often happens. Though exhilarated to be free, she finds herself stranded in the freezing cold of a Pennsylvania winter. This was not well thought out, with no money or no plan. Yet she's a pop superstar. Right. A local family, and the no laps, ATM cards, yes, the laps take her in. They know the true meaning. Like of a the puppy. Season. Yes, they know the true meaning of the season, even though they're close to claiming. Their, their they're close to losing their dairy farm. And, <laughs> and I assume that this pop star has really had no previous affinity well, for Christmas. Oh, no one no one in the family recognizes Adelaide except Dylan, the oldest son. He figures she's he figures that she's uh, their ticket to fast cash and plots to snap photos of Adelaide around the farm and sell them to the ta- to the tabloids. What he doesn't plan, however, is their mutual attraction. <laughs> I will they, say this is as intricate a plot for a Hallmark movie as, they, as I've ever as heard. They get to know each other. You know what? But she probably didn't recognize her because they put her in glasses and overalls like they did Rachel Lee Cook to make mm-hmm. her not hot in uh, – what was that? She's all She's that. all that. we got to ask yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. about that one. I have, actually. <laughs> um, as they get to know each other, Dylan has two realizations. Profiteering from invading Dil- Adelaide's pro- uh, privacy is wrong, and his uptight girlfriend is not the one for him. When Adelaide performs a song, which Dylan's kid sister wrote, a lot of the money is earned, which aids the Laps and the other strapped farmers. I love that they're named the Laps. <laughs> L-A-P-P. Mm-hmm. Very, very... Pennsylvania Dutch. Next movie. Did they tell her to be careful about among the English at any point? Didn't get that. Are we going to do all eight of these or just a few? Okay. (laughs) Angel Falls. Angel Falls. First of all, is a place. Whatever, whatever the movie is about, it takes place in a place called Angels Fall. Angel Falls, and also has the double meaning of a character probably named Angel who has some sort of fall. Now. What I'm thinking here is, all right, we'll give it to him. How close am I just with You're that? very close so far. You right. are very close. Yeah, the, the, the Angel Falls is definitely like a place. You are, you are close to being dead on. All right. Um, now, here's where i got to get specific, and it gets tougher. Is the main character's name Angel? I would say that's too on the nose, but we're talking about a Hallmark Christmas movie. Therefore, I will say Yes. The last name of the main character is Angel. You're close, Brian. Okay. Fallen Angel Gabby must redeem herself. So she's a fallen angel. She's a angel. literal angel. She's okay. A, she's a fallen angel. To do so, she's dispatched to 
Where else but the town of Angel, Angel Falls, Falls? Right. It's not a job for any one being, even though endowed with her special powers. Luckily, oh, Gabby has it. an actual fallen. Gabby angel. has, and this is weird, her own guardian angels, Anna and Michael. All of them work to help the citizens of Angel Falls, and along the way, right? Wings, everybody, everybody learn, earns a lot of lessons and, and gets love, their wings right. Wings yeah. and love blossom, yeah. um, and they save a dairy farm. <laughs> Christmas shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a couple more of these. Christmas shuttle is a reference to um, a a mode of transport, a travel, uh, where the person has to take the Christmas shuttle to get back and forth from wherever it is. Probably a high-powered job that they spend too much time at and not enough time with their family. And um, there is question as to whether or not the lead character – Ten years ago would have been undoubtedly a man. Now it could be a woman who doesn't put prioritize her family quite enough and doesn't love the spirit of the holiday enough and is, is struggling with work-life balance, um, whether or not she's going to make the Christmas shuttle back for Christmas. This one, unfortunately, you're nowhere close. Oh, damn. I did better with Angel Falls. It's not easy being Henry, the only child of divorced parents. Every Christmas, he, he has flown right. cross-country okay. to be Back with his dad. Because he's eight, a flight attendant looks after him from gate to gate. Henry instantly takes to the engaging Megan, who wears a Santa hat, while helping him to write a letter to the jolly guy, Santa Claus. Megan promises to mail it to the North Pole, but she slips the note to Henry's dad. Henry has already decided Megan and his dad would be a great couple. And with all the sophistication of a little boy, he tries setting him up. If it, in fairness, there's no way I would have come up with it this. It turns out Megan has no plans for Christmas dinner. Naturally, Henry uh, invites her over, okay. giving the adults a chance to see that they are perfect together. All right. I hope that works out for them. Christmas for Joy. <laughs> First of all, again, we'll go back to this. The lady, the main character's name is Joy. Yes. Um, Joy is probably an unhappy person in one way or another. And I'm sensing sort of a kind of a, a, a Christmas carol feel for something like this where Joy is somebody who ironically is not joyful about the holidays. And over the course of the movie is taught to love and appreciate and enjoy Christmas in ways that she hadn't. Um, you got the part about joy. Right. Uh, joy may be down on her luck, but her, her humanity is intact. Okay. She jumps to the aid of a stranger, rescuing the woman from a terrible accident. The woman who nearly died is quite successful and learns a great lesson from her accident. Helping others is the key to true success and could be the path to finding true love as well. I mention this one only because this is the dumbest sounding of all these movies. <laughs> it's terrible. And then finally, Brian, one last one. All right. Sugar and Spice, which sounds like it could be an adult movie. Right. <laughs> an adult <laughs> Christmas. I, I, hold on one second. Sugar and Spice. Pornography. <laughs> <laughs> It is, in fact. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> in a few different combinations. Yes. So uh, that is, in fact, true. Uh, sugar and spice. This sounds to me... I'm not going to lie. This, this one is going to be tough for you to nail. This sounds to me like one of those family combination things or like where you're taking one group and you're putting it together with another group um, where the combinations are where you have 
good guy, good, you know, the, the the good group and the bad group, and like, you know, and um, there's the, the sort of the tension comes from both the, the forcing together the groups, and then also how are they going to act? Uh, I, I can't. I'm, I'm not getting much. Yeah, this is this is a very tough one. You did miss, I guess, you missed the one dead giveaway, which is that the sugar and spice are actually ingredients. Oh, so it's a cooking. It's, it is a cooking. All right. And what do you make from sugar and spice that is... Spice, uh, Christmas cakes and all kinds of stuff. So it's two chefs that fall in love that probably have uh, bakeries that are competing with each other. Now in, you're getting close. <laughs> they're probably now competing with each other close. for Christmas business where the male, male baker, who is probably the spice, and the female uh, who runs the other bakery who is a woman and she is the sugar don't like it's basically what they're doing is they're ripping off uh sleepless in seattle and making it bakeries and centering it around christmas you're semi in the ballpark now ginger oh she's spice ginger may have had her hopes for a christmas engagement dashed but her hopes of resurrecting her pastry chef career pays off when she makes it into the finals of the American Gingerbread Competition. When a broken oven... The near- AGC? Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Uh, when a broken oven nearly derails her entry... Oddly enough, we're covering that this year. Help, the, the station is sending us. Help arrives from an unlikely source, local pizzeria owner Bobby, who happens to be Kylie's high school sweetheart. Doesn't say who Kylie is. Um, As the pair collaborate, their romance is rekindled, but will creative differences and an ex determined to win her back threaten her chances of winning the grand prize and her true love? So these are some movies you can look forward to come I'm worried, Christmas time. I'm worried at how this might affect the integrity of the American gingerbread championships. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, the product placement. Yeah. It's just, just going to be one big branding exercise. Be the worst cooking competition to be the judge of. Ah, gingerbread. <laughs> it, it's, like, I like gingerbread as much as the next guy, but nobody really likes gingerbread I'll that tell much. You what, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's the equivalent of everybody gets really excited you know, every October, once Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up, and Starbucks starts throwing out all the pumpkin spice right. stuff, and for two or three days, it's awesome. Then after a while, yeah, you are yeah. so but it's sick it's like of pumpkin remember spice. like when Iron Chef, like I always feel like, oh my god, how cool it would be to be on Iron Chef. Oh like, yeah, you know, be a, a panelist, the hell be a that. panelist on Iron Chef, and you're always worried though that like. Today's secret ingredient is olives. <laughs> the one thing I don't eat, or peanuts. And I'm sorry, I'm allergic. I can't eat that. Like I feel like that's what it would be with like judging a gingerbread competition. That could get old. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else? Nope. I'm all good. right. Well, that was good. I know what I'm gonna be doing this Christmas, and we will see everybody before then. Goodbye.